continuing on, going through uh, the history of Israel, we'll finish the book of 1 Samuel today, uh, looking at the life of David before he becomes king. Uh, so if you remember, we left off last week with Saul, uh, when he had disobeyed God uh, in destroying the Amalekites, and God had told him that he would uh, not only no longer be king, but that his, his family would no longer be king, right? His uh, sons would not sit on the throne. It was going to be given to someone else. Uh, and so... Samuel here at the book of, uh, at the end of chapter 15, it says, Samuel came no more to see Saul until the day of his death. Nevertheless, Samuel mourned for Saul, and the Lord repented that he had made Saul king over Israel. So after this encounter, Samuel with Saul, right, Samuel no longer comes to Saul, right, which is uh, signifying, too, the word of the Lord no longer coming to Saul, right, because of his disobedience. And so, beginning in chapter 16, verse 1, it says, The Lord said unto Samuel, How long wilt thou mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill thine horn with oil, and go, I will send thee to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided me a king among his sons. So you have here sort of a rebuke uh, of Samuel, uh, and God exhorting him to get up and get busy. Right? He says, How long are you going to mourn for Saul? Right? So Samuel is sorrowful over Saul being rejected as king right? and the king, kingdom being taken from him. Uh, but God says, fill your horn with oil, right? get up and get busy. I need you to go and anoint who I have chosen as the next king. Uh, and See, so it's kind of interesting you have this rebuke of Samuel here. Uh, and so you have the story of Samuel right, being going down to the house of Jesse. Uh, and Samuel says there in verse 2, How can I go if Saul here? He will kill me. Uh, so Samuel has some fear that if Saul finds out I'm going to anoint the next king, he's going to kill me, right? He's going to kill me before I do it. Uh, so God tells him, Take an heifer, you're going to do sacrifice there. Just tell them you're going to do sacrifice with the house of Jesse, and I will show thee when you're there who to anoint, right? Uh, so it's kind of interesting that fear that Samuel has and how God right, provides him a way uh, to do it without being fearful. Uh, so you have this story, of course, most people are familiar. The eldest son who looked the part, right, but was not who God had chosen. And then you have this famous verse in verse 7. Uh, the Lord said to Samuel, Look not on his countenance, nor on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as a man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. Right? God looks at the inward. Right? He looks on the heart, not the outward. Man always looks on the outward. Uh, this is a, a, a biblical principle. If you look at 1 Kings 8, 39. It says, Then hear thou in heaven thy dwelling place, and forgive and do and give to every man according to his ways, whose heart thou knowest. For thou, even thou only, knowest the hearts of all the children of men. Right? So the prayer here, and the prayer you often see under the law, right, is judge me according to my ways, according to right, what I've done in my heart. And that's what the prayer is here. Forgive every man according to his ways, whose heart thou knowest. Right? So not just their ways on the outward, 
but their ways from the inward, right? The intent of their heart, why they do what they do, uh, is what the prayer is here. Uh, in Matthew 9, verse 4, Jesus gives the, percent, uh, the sins of the one that was sick of the palsy. Verse 3, it says, Behold, certain of the scribes said within themselves, This man blasphemed And Jesus knoweth their thoughts, said, Wherefore think ye evil in your hearts? Right, so you see there, Jesus as God, God knows every man's heart. Uh, Jesus here knew the thoughts of the scribes, right? their thoughts, what they thought in their heart, this man blasphemed right? Because Jesus had said, right, I forgive your sin. Uh, Luke sixteen fifteen <laughs> says, and he said unto them, Ye are they which justify yourselves before men, but God knoweth your hearts, for that which is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. Uh, and so here he's, again, rebuking the Pharisees because they justify themselves before men, right? Because they are rich, they wear the fancy clothing, they do the works in front of men. Uh, but God says, uh, God knows your hearts, right? Jesus says here. Uh, so what you think is esteemed before men is an abomination in the sight of God right? because they were doing it out of pride, right? Look at me uh, is what they're trying to do. And God says, I know why you're doing it. Right? I know your heart and your intents there, and it is not righteous. Right? You will not be justified for what you're doing. Uh, 2 Corinthians 10, verse 7. Paul here. says, Do you look on things after the outward appearance? If any man trusts himself that he is Christ, let him of himself think this again. As he is Christ, even so are we Christ. For though I should boast somewhat more of our authority, which the Lord hath given us for edification and not for your destruction, I should not be ashamed, that I may not seem as if I would terrify you by letters. For his letters say they are weighty and powerful, where his bodily presence is weak and his speech is contemptible. Let such a one think this, that such as we are in word by letters when we are absent, such will be also indeed when we are present. So here he's asking them, right, are you just going to look at the outward appearance? Uh, people would say that Paul, right, didn't look like a, a, a scary man, right, as someone that would be bold. They said he's just writing letters in boldness because he's not there, you know, in front of you. If he was there face to face, he would be uh, timid. And Paul says that's not the case, right, whether absent or present. Uh, I'm going to speak to you the same way, whether by letter or face to face, right? So he says don't just look at the appearance. Right, you are judging someone based on their appearance, is what he's saying here. Uh, so it's interesting there, that story with Paul. Uh, but you have this biblical principle, right? Don't look at the outward, because that's not what God looks at. Uh, and that's a, a truth throughout Scripture, right? Under the law, people who just did things to do them, when well, I did the law, but that person wouldn't be justified. Because when they're in secret, they're going to do the desires of their heart. Right? They would only keep the law when people were looking. Right? And so God knew the intents of their heart, and that's what God is going to judge. 
so that's what he's teaching Samuel here, right? Don't look at his outward appearance. He may not look uh, like the king of Israel, but I'm looking at his heart and how he's going to lead for my law, right? Uh, again, you think about the law that God gave in Deuteronomy. It talks about the king having to uh, write a copy of the law and to keep the law, right? He can't uh, try to use his kingship to have more horses, right, and to gain riches and all this, but it's supposed to abuse his power. So God would use someone who, again, had a heart after God, right, who would keep God's law. Uh, so that's why God is choosing David here. First uh, Samuel sixteen thirteen. So going back to the story here, it says, Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him, this is David, uh, in the midst of his brethren, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. So you have here the Spirit coming upon David. Uh, the same thing happened to Saul in 1 Samuel eleven six. Uh, it says, The Spirit of God came upon Saul when he heard those tidings, and his anger was kindled greatly. So you have uh, the Spirit that would come on the kings of Israel. Right? In the Old Testament, uh, we've talked about this before, not every Jew had the Spirit of God. Right? It would only come on certain people. In the book of Judges, it would come on those judges, such as Samson and Gideon. Uh, it would come on the prophets, right, such as Samuel, but also the kings, right, such as Saul and David and Solomon. Uh, so you have here the Spirit coming upon David when he is anointed king. Uh, verse 14, uh, verse 15, sorry, it says, in, sorry, yeah, verse 14 says, But the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. Uh, so you have here the Spirit departing from Saul and an evil spirit coming upon him. Uh, evil does not mean, right, a wicked, immoral uh, spirit, right? It's not that God gave Saul a wicked spirit to do evil deeds. Uh, it can mean wicked, that word evil can mean wicked, but it can also mean bad or distress, uh, unhappy. It can mean these things. Uh, in Isaiah, it talks about God created good and evil. And the evil in there meant calamity, right? God creates calamity when he judges, right? That's how he judges, by creating calamity, uh, destruction uh, of the wicked. Uh, so that word evil can mean a bad or unhappy spirit, which is what it means here. Uh, because as you read on, it says, Saul's servant said unto him, Behold, now an evil spirit from God troubleth thee. Let our Lord now command thy servants which are before thee to seek out a man who is cunning, uh, a cunning player of an harp, and it shall come to pass when the evil spirit from God is upon thee, that he shall play with his hand, and thou shalt be well. So you see, it's an unhappy spirit that Saul has, right? A distressed, maybe depressed spirit that he's having now. Uh, because they say, well, we're bringing someone who can play music good, right? Play the harp good, and your spirit will be lifted, right? The evil spirit will depart, you'll be well. So you see, they're trying to cheer up Saul, right? Because of this unhappy spirit that he has from the Lord. Uh, you could say that God gave this spirit to Saul, like uh, the Calvinists would say, right? God is forcing him to have this uh, depressed spirit. You could read it that way. Or you could read it that God told Saul, you're no longer going to be king, and now Saul is depressed, right? Which is likely what's happening here, right? Um, and so you have this evil spirit of the Lord, this depressed spirit, this unhappy spirit of the Lord, because the Lord has told Saul, 
um, taking the kingdom from you, right, because of your disobedience. Uh, so again, it's important to understand what words mean and also the context of what uh, is happening here. Some people might just read that verse and say, God's right, Calvinist, and he can give you an evil spirit and you're going to sin. Right? That's not what it's saying. Okay? Uh, and you see that verse 23, it came to pass when the evil spirit from God was upon Saul, that David took a harp and played with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well, and the evil spirit departed from him. Right? So again, it's not a spirit that was evil in the fact that Saul would do evil things. Uh, it was a distressed or unhappy spirit. Uh, and so you have Saul there who has uh, David to play the harp for him, is what that story is. So you get to chapter 17, uh, and this is the great story of David and Goliath. Right? So we're not going to read the whole chapter. Uh, but I do want to look at probably another very popular verse here, uh, and maybe uh, have a different view. In verse 28-29, when David goes to give his brothers food, right, he sees Goliath come out and uh, basically curse the God of Israel, right, and make a, a show of him by saying, y'all trust in the God of Israel, will come out and defeat me, right? Y'all trust the God of Israel, he'll save you, right? He's making a mockery of Israel and of their God. Uh, and it says, uh, in verse 29, David spake to the men that stood by him, saying, What shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine, and taketh away their approach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine, that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him after this manner, saying, So shall it be done to the man that killeth him. And Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spake unto the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, why camest thou down hither, and with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know thy pride and the naughtiness of thine heart, for thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. And David said, What have I now done? Is there not a cause? So people preach path, uh, messages on that phrase, Is there not a cause? Right? And there's a cause for the work of the Lord, which is true. Right? And it's a good, good message. Right? There is a cause to do the work of the Lord. Uh, for us today, it's to see souls saved right? and saints edified. Uh, that's not what David is saying here, I don't believe. I don't think he's saying, is there not a cause to defeat this great giant, this Philistine, for the Lord our God, so that he's not mocking him? Uh, because you look at the question, uh, or the accusation from Eliab, he says, why camest thou down hither? Right? What's your purpose for being here? You just want to come down and see the battle, because I know how you are. You're just being a curious young kid. And David said, what have I done? Is there not a cause? He's saying, there's a reason I'm here. Uh, and that reason is in verse 17 and 18. It says, Jesse said unto David, his son, Take now for thy brethren an uh, ephah of his parched corn and these ten loaves, and run to the camp to thy brethren, and carry these ten cheeses unto the captain of their thousand, and look how thy brethren fare, and take their pledge. All right, he's saying, I was sent down here. Right? You know I have a reason to be here, Eliab, is what he's saying. Right? My father sent me to bring you food and to see how y'all are doing. Uh, that's how I read that passage. Um, again, good spiritual principle. Is there not a cause? There is a cause, right, to do the work of the Lord. Uh, but I don't think that's what David was saying there. Right? He says, what have I now done? There's a reason I'm here, Eliab, because you look at the accusation he made. Uh, so just a different perspective on that verse. Um, again, good spiritual principle. Not trying to take away from that. But you also have to understand what it's actually saying, literally. Okay. Uh, so you have that story of David, of course, defeating Goliath. Uh, 
with the stone and the slinging, right? And there's a great uh, salvation for the Israelites that day. Uh, and so you have 1 Samuel 18. Uh, is when Saul gets jealousy and fear of David, right? Because uh, David is made head over the armies and he wins great battles. Uh, so you look at verse 6 of chapter 18. It says, It came to pass as they came when David was returned from the slaughter of the Philistine, that the women uh, came out of all cities of Israel, singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tabrets, with joy, and with instruments and music. And the women answered one another as they played and said, Saul hath slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very wroth at the same. This pleased him, and he said, They have ascribed unto David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed but thousands. And what can he have more but the kingdom? Uh, it says, And Saul eyed David from that day forward. And it came to pass on the morrow that the evil spirit from God came upon Saul, and he prophesied in the midst of the house. And David played with his hand as at other times, and there was a javelin in Saul's hand. And Saul cast out the javelin, for he said, I will smite David even to the wall with it. And David avoided it out of his presence twice. And Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him and was departed from Saul. So again, you see that contrast between the Lord departing from Saul and being with David. Uh, but you see Saul's jealousy, right? Rather than being grateful for the slaughter of the Philistines and the victory uh, of the armies of Israel, he's jealous of David because they're saying Saul killed his thousands, but David his ten thousand. Right? Why are they ascribing more to David than to me as Saul's accusation? Uh, but Saul was the one in the tent that wouldn't go out and fight Goliath. Right? So again, you see the contrast between David and Saul and their faith in God, ultimately. Right? Uh, David trusting in God uh, to save him and help him defeat Goliath. Uh, so again, you have these contrasts that you're seeing between uh, David and Saul. And so you get to verse 18 through the end of the chapter, Saul comes up with a plan to kill David. Uh, it says, David said unto Saul, Who am I, and what is my life, or my father's family in Israel, that I should be son-in-law to the king? Uh, so Saul was going to give David to marry his oldest daughter, Merab. Uh, it says, But it came to pass at the time when Merab, Saul's daughter, should have been given to David, that she was given unto Adriel, the Mahalathite, to wife. And Michael, Saul's daughter, loved David, and they told Saul, and the thing pleased him. And Saul said, I will give him her, that she may be a snare to him, that the hand of the Philistines may be against him, whether Saul said to David, Thou shalt say this day, Be my son-in-law, and one of the twain. And Saul commanded his servants, saying, Commune with David secretly, and say, Behold, the king hath delight in thee, and all his servants love thee, now therefore be the king's son-in-law. And Saul's servants spake those words in the ears of David, and David said, Seemeth it to you a light thing to be a king's son-in-law, seeing that I am a poor man and lightly esteemed? And the servants of Saul told him, saying, On the manner spake David. And Saul said, Thus shall you say to David, The king desireth not any dowry, but an hundred foreskins of the Philistines to be avenged of the king's enemies. But Saul thought to make David fall by the hand of the Philistines. So you see Saul's plan here is, he knew David would respond, saying, I'm a poor man, like I can't pay for the king's daughter. And he says the king doesn't want money, right? He just wants a thousand foreskins of the Philistines. So he wants David to go and try to get the thousand foreskins and die in the process, is what Saul's thinking here. Right, so he's trying to use his daughter uh, and David marrying her as a way to get David killed. Uh, so you see this plan that he's hatching. 
Uh, so it says in verse 26, And when his servants told David these words, it pleased David well to be the king's son-in-law, and the days were not expired. Wherefore David arose and went, he and his men, and slew of the Philistines two hundred men, and David brought their foreskins. And they gave them in full tale to the king, that he might be the king's son-in-law. And Saul gave him Michael his daughter to wife. And Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David, and that Michael, Saul's daughter, loved him. And Saul was yet the more afraid of David, and Saul became David's enemy continually. Then the princes of the Philistines went forth, and it came to pass after they went forth that David behaved himself more wisely than all the servants of Saul, so that his name was much set by. Uh, so you see, Saul's plan does not work out, and he is now more afraid of David and becomes his enemy continually, it says. Um, so you look at uh, chapter 19, Jonathan advocates for Saul because Saul wants to have David killed. Jonathan basically says, why are you trying to kill David who's done nothing wrong? He's defeated Goliath, or he saved us. Uh, and so Saul hearkens unto Jonathan uh, and says, as uh, Saul swear, as the Lord liveth, he shall not be slain. There in verse 6 of chapter 19. Uh, so you have Jonathan advocating for David. And of course, you've heard the story of Jonathan and David right, in their bond one to another. Uh, in verses 8 through 18, David's wife, Michael, Saul's daughter, uh, buys David time to escape, right? They go to see David at his house, and she puts a bolster with a wig in the bed and makes it look as if David is sick, right? So they leave. They come back. They say, well, he's still sick. So they bust in and see that it's not David, and David had actually escaped out the window, uh, so you have that story there. Um, and at the end, you have a very interesting story here in 1 Samuel 19, verse 18 through 24. It says, David fled and escaped and came to Samuel to Ramah and told him all that Saul had done to him. And he and Samuel went and dwelt in Naoth. And it was told Saul, saying, Behold, David is at Naoth in Ramah. And Saul sent messengers to take David, and when they saw the company of the prophets prophesying and Samuel standing as appointed over them, the Spirit of God was upon the messengers of Saul, and they also prophesied. And it was told Saul he sent other messengers, and they prophesied likewise. And Saul sent messengers again the third time, and they prophesied also. Then went he also to Ramah and came to the great wall that is in Sechu, and he asked and said, Where are Samuel and David? And one said, Behold, they be at Naoth and Ramah. And he went thither to Naoth and Ramah, and the Spirit of God was upon him also. And he went on and prophesied until he came to Naoth and Ramah. And he stripped off his clothes also and prophesied before Samuel in like manner and lay down naked all that day and all that night. Wherefore they say, Saul also among the prophets. Uh, so he's trying to capture David with Samuel here in Ramah. So he sends messengers. And they get there and... Uh, what you had there with Samuel was other prophets, right? And Samuel was kind of like a leader over them. And so these messengers get there, and the Spirit comes upon them when they're there, and they start to prophesy. Uh, and then he sends messengers again. The same thing happens. So Saul says, well, I'm going to go myself. And then the same thing happens to Saul, right? So what you have here, I believe, is God showing Saul that I'm with David, right? And you can try to capture him, but you're not going to succeed, right? Um, so you have Saul here is basically fighting against God, and that's what God is trying to show Saul, right, through this event that happens is what I believe. Um, but that part about being naked, 
again, naked in the Bible does not automatically mean no clothes at all or nude. Uh, it could just mean he stripped his kingly garment since he was a king or he was partially clothed, right? Um, and so it doesn't mean that he was naked laying on the ground, but he was definitely stripped of clothing, whether it was his kingly garment or most of his clothes. Uh, but when he's laying all that day and night, basically he's unconscious. Right? So again, it shows God's power over Saul and how he's helping David uh, through this. Uh, so again, an interesting story, one that you don't hear much about uh, when Saul's trying to capture David. Uh, chapter 20, you have David and Jonathan's covenant, so they make a covenant uh, one with another. And then chapter 21 is where David eats the showbread. Uh, so this is mostly popular from the New Testament, which we'll look at in a minute. Uh, but you have verse 1, it says, Then came David to Nob, to Ahimelech the priest, and Ahimelech was afraid at the meeting of David, and said unto him, Why art thou alone, and no man with thee? And David said unto Ahimelech the priest, The king hath commanded me a business, and hath said unto me, Let no man know anything of the business whereabout I send thee, and what I have commanded thee. And I have appointed my servants to such and such a place. Now therefore, what is under thine hand? Give me five loaves of bread in mine hand, or what there is present. And the priest answered David and said, There is no common bread under mine hand, but there is hallowed bread if the young men have kept themselves at least from women. And David answered the priest and said unto him, Of the truth, women have been kept from us about these three days since I came out. And the vessels of the young men are holy vessels of the young men are holy. And the bread is in the manner common, yea, that were sanctified this day in the vessel. So the priest gave him hallowed bread, for there was no bread there but the showbread that was taken from before the Lord to put hot bread in the day when it was taken away. Now a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day detained before the Lord, and his name was Doeg, an Edomite, the chiefest of the herdmen that belongeth to Saul. And David said unto Ahimelech, And is there not here under thine hand spear or sword? For I have neither brought my sword nor my weapons with me, because the king's business required haste. And the priest said, The sword of Goliath and the Philistine, whom thou slewest, is in the valley of Allah, behold, it is here wrapped in cloth behind the uh, ephod. If thou wilt take that, take it, for there is no other save that here. And David said, There is none like that, give it me. And David arose and fled that day for fear of Saul, and went to Achish, the king of Gath. Uh, so that's the story of David eating the showbread. And you see David's lying, right, his secrecy, because he says, Well, Saul sent me on a private mission, which wasn't true, right? He's running from Saul. Uh, so he's trying to keep that from the priests. Uh, so it's interesting, uh, David trying to right, save himself, but the priest gives him the holy bread. Uh, and so you have this story uh, talked about by Jesus in most of the Gospels. If you go to Mark 2, verse 23 through 28, it says, And it came to pass that he went through the cornfields on the Sabbath day, and his disciples began as they went to pluck the ears of corn. And the Pharisees said unto him, Behold, why do they on the Sabbath day that which is not lawful? And he said unto them, Have you never read what David did when he had need and was in hunger? He and they that were with him, how he went into the house of God in the days of Abiathar, the high priest, and did eat the showbread, which is not lawful to eat, but for the priests, and gave also to them which were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore the Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath. Right, so they're accusing Jesus and his disciples, and the disciples are plucking corn on the Sabbath day. Right, because they're hungry, right? They're eating. 
Um, and so they're accusing him, like, why are y'all disobeying the law? And Jesus says the Sabbath was made not for man, but man. The Sabbath is made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Right? Meaning that day of rest is needful for man. That's what that means. Um, but he's saying y'all add things to the law, which you see throughout the New Testament. Right? To say that you can't pull a thing of corn to eat because you're very hungry was not what that law meant. Right? He's talking about labor, right? going out and working your fields, right? or doing a full harvest. Right, that would be labor and working and would be the purpose of that law, right? which you shouldn't do. Um, just to pull an ear or two of corn to eat it because you're hungry right, was not what the law was saying. Right? Now, same thing for David, where only the priests were supposed to eat the holy bread. But David here in 1 Samuel 21, right, he eats it, but he's hungry. Right? And he's asking the priest. Right? And so the priest allowed it. So again... Uh, things were allowed under the law. God was never intent was you have to suffer, right, under the law. Uh, there are reasons for the laws given in certain ways that you wouldn't be held accountable if you, quote unquote, disobeyed it, right? Uh, such as this example here, right? David's hungry, his men are hungry, and they're asking bread of the priest, and the priest gives them the showbread, right? Really, it would be the priest that sinned uh, because he's the one that gave it to them, right? They didn't take it by force. Uh, so again, another interesting story that you see Jesus himself talk about in the New Testament uh, to show that the disciples were doing nothing wrong there. right? Uh, so back to uh, the book of 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel 22. There in verse 10 of chapter 21 where David arose uh, and fled from Saul, he went to Achish, the king of Gath. That is a Philistine king. So David had left and went to a Philistine country, right, to escape from Saul. Uh, and at the end of the chapter here, in verse 11 through 15, it says, The servants of Achish said unto him, Is not this David the king of the land? Did they not sing one to another of him in dances, saying, Saul hath slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands? And David laid up these words in his heart, and was sore afraid of Achish the king of Gath. So David here is afraid because he's thinking he's going to, uh, the king will retaliate to him since he had killed Philistines, right? Since he was an Israelite that was in the army of Saul. Uh, it says, verse 13, And he changed his behavior before them, and feigned himself mad in their hands, and scrabbled on the doors of the gate, and let a spittle fall down upon his beard. Then said Achish unto his servants, Lo, ye see the man is mad, wherefore then have ye brought him to me? Have I need of a madman that ye have brought this fellow to play the madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? So it seems like what's going on is they're bringing David to the king to show him, hey, this is David. And so David begins to act mad. Right? So he's putting on a show, acting like he's right, not in his right mind. Uh, talk about a spittle falling down upon his beard. He's probably like mumbling and He's just acting mad, and the king's like, get him out of my presence. Why would y'all even allow someone like this right, into my palace? Uh, so interesting story there, right? The way David acts, again, to save his life. Uh, which also shows, we'll talk about this a little more, but it shows that David was a sinner, right? You always hear about the story of David and Bathsheba, right? And David was a sinner, we know that. But you can go back and look throughout David's life. He didn't always, in every instance, trust God. Right, such as this. Right, he's fearful for his life, so he starts to act mad to try to save his life. Versus trusting God and saying, well, God will deliver me from this if he 
wants me to live, right? Uh, God had anointed him as king. You could trust God to see that through, right? Uh, so again, just to show that David also, before Bathsheba, right, had sinned. He was a sinner. Right? He was a man. Uh, so again, you got to keep that in mind. Uh, chapter 22, Saul kills the priest. So in chapter 21, when David goes to the priest, Ahimelech, and he gives him the bread, Saul brings Ahimelech before him and accuses him of helping David, right, to escape. And Ahimelech says, I knew nothing of this. Right, I didn't know. He told me he was on the business for you, right? I didn't know anything of the matter. Uh, and Saul commands him killed, right, and all the priests that were there. Uh, and so you have there uh, Saul killing the priest of God. Right? So again, showing the wickedness of Saul here. Uh, so that's what happens in chapter 22. Uh, chapter 23 and 24 is Saul hunting David. Uh, and this is the story of David in the cave, and he lets Saul live. Right? So you know David's in the cave. Saul goes in there to rest. Uh, Saul's, David's servants try to get David to kill Saul, and Saul says, I will not touch the Lord's anointed. All right, so again, you see David's respect for the Lord's anointed. Uh, so he cuts off the garment for a piece of uh, Saul's skirt in chapter 24, and as Saul leaves the cave and is off in the distance, David comes out and basically says, like, hey, I could have killed you, but I didn't. Um, so you have in verse... 16, it says, It came to pass when David had made an end of speaking these words unto Saul, that Saul said, Is this thy voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. And he said to David, Thou art more righteous than I, for thou hast rewarded me good, whereas I have rewarded thee evil. And thou hast shown this day how that thou hast dealt with me, for as much as when the Lord had delivered me into thine hand, thou killest me not. For if a man find his enemy, will he let him go well away? Wherefore, the Lord reward thee good, for that thou hast done unto me this day. And now, behold, I know well that thou shalt surely be king, and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in thine hand. Swear thou now, therefore, unto me by the Lord, that thou wilt not cut off my seed after me, and that thou wilt not destroy my name out of my father's house. And David swear unto Saul, and Saul went home, but David and his men got them up into the hole. All right, so David, uh, Saul seems here to realize, right, you rewarded me good with evil. He seems sorrowful for what he's been doing. Um, and so that's the story in chapter 23 and 24, Saul hunting David, and that story that David is hiding in the cave, and he does not kill Saul. Uh, chapter 25 is the story of Abigail and Nabal. Uh, and so that's the story of Nabal, who David was going to go kill because of how Nabal had treated his servants. And Abigail, his wife, pleads for him, so David lets him live. And then God, uh, Nabal gets sick and dies, and David says, God has avenged him for me. And then David takes Abigail as his wife. Uh, and so that's that story there in chapter 25. Uh, chapter 26, David lets Saul live again. Uh, so it happens twice, once in the cave, but also here in uh, the hill of Hachalah. Uh, David had another opportunity to kill Saul, but he did not. Um, it says in verse 3, Saul pitched in the hill of Hapshalah, which is before Jeshimon, by the way, but David abode in the wilderness. And he saw that Saul came after him into the wilderness. David therefore sent out spies and understood that Saul was come in very deep. So Saul is again trying to find David to kill him. 
It says that David arose and came to the place where Saul had pitched, and David beheld the place where Saul lay, and Abner, the son of Ner, the captain of his host, and Saul lay in the trench, and the people pitched round about him. Then answered David and said to Ahimelech the Hittite, and to Abishai the son of Zerulah, brother to Joab, saying, Who will go down with me to Saul to Kent? And Abishai said, uh, I will go down with thee. So David and Abishai came to the people by night, and behold, Saul lay sleeping within the trench. And his spear stuck in the ground and his bolster, but Abner and the people lay round about him. Then said Abishai to David, God hath delivered thine enemy into thine hand this day, now therefore let me smite him. I pray thee with the spear, even to the earth at once, and I will not smite him the second time. And David said to Abishai, Destroy him not, for who can stretch forth his hands against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? David said, Furthermore, as the Lord liveth, uh, the Lord shall smite him, or his day shall come to die, or he shall descend into battle and perish. The Lord forbid that I should stretch forth mine hand against the Lord's anointed, but I pray thee, take thou now the spear that is at, uh, at his bolster, and the cruse of water, and let us go. Uh, so David took the spear and the cruse of water from Saul's bolster, and they got them away, and no man saw it nor knew it. Neither awake they of their sleep, because a deep sleep from the Lord was fallen upon them. Then David went over to the other side and stood on the top of the hill far off, a great space being between them. And David cried to the people, to Abner the son of Ner, saying, Answerest thou not, Abner? Thou Abner answered and said, Who art thou that criest to the king? So basically David goes on to say, All right, I could have killed you again. Here's your spear, your bolster, uh, but I'll let you live again. Uh, so you get to chapter 27. It says, David said in his heart, I shall now perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than that I should speedily escape into the land of the Philistines, and Saul shall despair of me to seek me any more in any coast of Israel, so shall I escape out of his hand. So you kind of understand what David is thinking here, right? He had the opportunity to kill Saul in the cave, but didn't. Saul didn't give any value to that. He's again hunting David. So David does it again with the spear and the bolster. Could have killed Saul, but doesn't. But he's saying, well, Saul's just going to come after me again. Right, that's what he's thinking here. He says in his heart, uh, I shall now perish one day by the hand of Saul. That's what David is thinking. Right, eventually he's going to get to me and he's going to kill me. Which again shows David not trusting God. Right? And so he says, I'm going to go into the land of the Philistines. That way Saul no longer looks for me. Right? Because he wouldn't go in the land of the Philistines and have to fight them right, just to find Saul and uh, find David and kill him. Uh, so you see here David's fear of Saul. Right? Uh, he may have never said this, but he says he felt in his heart. He said it in his heart, right? I need to escape because Saul is going to kill me. Uh, if you look at verse 7 through 12, so again, he comes to the king of Akish, uh, the one that he acted mad in front of, uh, and he says he asked him to give him a land, basically. Uh, verse 6, Akish gave him Ziklag that day, whereof Ziklag pertaineth unto the kings of Judah unto this day. And the time that David dwelt in the country of the Philistines was a full year and four months. So David dwelled in the Philistine land for over a year, right, for 16 months. Uh, it says, And David and his men went up and invaded the Geshurites and the Gezerites and the Amalekites, for those nations were of old the inhabitants of the land, as thou goest to Shur, even unto the land of Egypt. And David smote the land and left neither man nor woman alive, and took away the sheep and the oxen and the asses and the camels and the apparel, and returned them in return, and came to Akish. And Akish said, Whither have you made a road today? And David said, Against the south of Judah, and against the south of the Jeromelites, and against the south of the Kenites. 
And David saved neither man nor woman alive to bring tidings to Gath, saying, lest they should tell on us, saying, So did David, and so will be his manner all the while he dwelleth in the country of the Philistines. And Achish believed David, saying, He hath made his people Israel utterly to abhor him, therefore he shall be my servant forever. So what you have happening here is David basically goes out and destroys or raids the Geshurites, Gezerites, and Amalekites, which were enemies of the nation of Israel, which probably made David feel better. But what he's doing is he goes and raids these cities or these people and kills everyone that's there so there's no one to witness it. Then he goes back to Achish to give him the clothing and some of the spoil. And Achish says, where did you go to do this at? And he says he went to the south of Judah, the Jeromelites, and the Kenites, which would have been Israelites. All right, so you see what he's doing here. He's trying to buy favor with the king of the Philistines because, again, he's an Israelite right, that had fought against the Philistines. All right, but what Achish likes about David now is, one, he thinks David has raided and killed his own people, but also he probably knows that David's enemy is Saul, which is Achish's enemy. Right? Uh, so you see what David's doing. The reason he doesn't leave anyone alive, he says, is lest they tell what I've done. Right? And say that David came to the Amalekites and destroyed us, not the Kenites, right? Or Judah or wherever. Uh, so again, you see David sin here. Right? It can be understood why he's doing it, trying to save his life. Uh, he probably felt good that it was enemies of Israel that he went and destroyed. But he's lying about it, right? Just to save his life. So again, you see the sin of David. Uh, here in his fear of Saul and trying to save his life, not trusting God. Um, chapter 28, then, is Saul and the witch of Endor that we've uh, talked about some in our earlier uh, lessons during the 10 o'clock hour. Um, and then chapter 29, Kish is going to have David go to battle with him against the Israelites. Uh, and David is going to go, but we're never told what David's thoughts or intents are. Right, would David have actually fought against the Israelites? Probably not, uh, but he was going to go with Achish. And so they join with some other Philistines, and those princes of the Philistines are asking, why are these Hebrews with you? Because David has 600 men that had followed him. Um, and they say, basically, like they can't go to battle with this because when we're in the heat of the battle, they may turn on us and kill us. Right? And so Achish then makes David go home. Uh, but it's interesting he had gained the trust of Achish enough that Achish was willing to let David go into battle with him. Again, probably because he knew David, David's enemy was Saul and thought that David probably likely would try to fight against him. Uh, but again, you see again, the situation that David's in is not a good one, right? Where he was going to have to choose fight against the Israelites or somehow lie my way out of this and hope the king of the Philistines doesn't try to kill me for it. Right? So again, not a good, a good place that David's in. Uh, but he's saved because the princes of the Philistines don't want them going to war with them. Uh, so he returns back to uh, Ziklag, where he was staying, and the Amalekites had come up and raided his city and taken all of his wives and children and the men that were with him. They take all of them captive there in chapter 30. So David pursues and destroys them and saves his wives and all the men's wives and daughters. Uh, so you have that story there in chapter 30. And in chapter 31, Saul is killed. Uh, and so you have the end of the life of Saul there in chapter 31. 
And so we will pick up in 2 Samuel next week, which will begin to tell the story of David as king. All right, but I thought it was interesting to cover some of these stories of David before he's right king. So you can see uh, how he acted. Yes, he was a man after God's own heart. Uh, you see that when he's not touching the Lord's anointed. Right, he's trying to do right by Saul. He's trying to let the Lord right, deal with Saul as the Lord would have him do. Uh, but you also see his lack of trust in God and his fear of Saul. Right? And so he flees to the Philistine country to save his life. Um, so again, interesting there uh, to see those stories. Uh, a couple of observations that we can make here. Um, one of them being that David was a righteous man and a man after God's own heart, but he was a sinner nonetheless, right? So God uh, still used sinners, right? Knowing that, well, why would God use David if he was that way? Well, because God had a purpose, right? And we see later, as we uh, go through the story, that God would ultimately bring Jesus through the seed of David, right? Uh, so that's part of why he's going to use David. Uh, it's not because David was special. It's because God had a purpose, Right? Um, you see this phrase, sons of Belial, throughout the Old Testament. Uh, Belial is not a person. Right? So you have the sons of uh, Judah or the sons of Abraham. Right? These are generations and actual people whose father was Abraham. Uh, but the phrase, sons of Belial, uh, is a term used to describe someone or a group as worthless, wicked, or corrupt. Uh, and it is only used of a specific person once in reference to Satan in the New Testament. Paul says, uh, basically, what fellowship have Christ with Belial? Right, so that reference is to Satan. But every other instance, uh, it's used of an individual or a group of people, uh, basically to say, you are worthless or you're wicked or you're corrupt. Uh, so that's interesting. You see that phrase, that's what it means. The sons of Belial uh, said or they were sons of Belial, right? They were wicked, they were worthless uh, people. Uh, so that is an interesting term that you see in the Old Testament. Um, and then the third observation is Saul was prideful and a disobedient man, and this is kind of true from the beginning, right? Because we talked about when he offered the sacrifice, that was his first disobedience. Samuel said, wait till I get there. And Saul's not patient enough. It's on the seventh day. He says, Samuel ain't here. I'll do what he should have done. Right? And then Samuel gets there as soon as he's done, presenting the sacrifice, and tells him of his wickedness. Um, but he's filled with the Spirit in the beginning. We saw that in 1 Samuel eleven six. Saul is filled with the Spirit. But by the end, the Lord is not speaking to him. Uh, so there in the story of the witch of Endor, in 1 Samuel 28, 6, it says, Saul inquired of the Lord, and the Lord answered him not, neither by dreams, nor by Urim, nor by prophets. Right, so again, the word of the Lord has left Saul. Uh, again, because of his disobedience to God, but also his hatred and his pride and jealousy of David. Right? Uh, so again, that's how God would have gave him the evil spirit uh, through those situations. But with that said, any thoughts or questions on this?